Welcome to Extra Credit, hosted by the Rutgers University Office of Summer and Winter Sessions. Listen to hear from students as they share their experiences at Rutgers and some tips on how to navigate a condensed semester. Also gain the perspective of professors and learn more about the courses they teach. Welcome back to another episode of Extra Credit. Today, we have an instructor with us, um, the course for Organizational Behavior in Sports Management. So can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself and the course? Sure. So I'm Jamie Cosloy. I am a teaching instructor in the SAS Department of Kinesiology and Health. Uh, This is about my eighth year teaching at Rutgers. I actually went to Rutgers and majored in sports management myself. So it's pretty fun to have come full circle um, and be back in this department. I currently also teach um, sport and the law, risk management, and sport administration. As you mentioned, organizational behavior in sport management. And then I teach in our few-year-old global sports management master's program. I teach employment relations in sports. So longtime Rutgers lover, alumni, now employee. That's great. You're like a little bit of everything. I love Rutgers. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, well, I'm happy to have you here and, yeah, to share your love. Thank you for having me. So how did you get interested? So you're a sports management major, or you are, and then, so how did you get interested in, like, that field of study? So growing up, I always loved sports. I grew up, um, we had season Giants tickets. I would go to games with my dad as a kid. As I got older, and then, you know, you branch out from your parents. i go with friends. I also grew up a Mets fan, so I'm just used to perpetual disappointment in all of my favorite teams. Um, so I always loved sports. And then when I was at Rutgers, I felt there were a lot of good opportunities on campus, uh, which I tell students about now. Um, the sports athletics team, um, I interned in sports marketing, I interned with the Jets, uh, I ultimately interned with NFL Europe. So I did a lot of internships. Um, And I really just felt at that time I really wanted to work in sports. And then ultimately interning at NFL Europe, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was um, like big stars like Kurt Warner got their start there. It was sort of the developmental league for the NFL. And I did my senior year at Rutgers, uh, my last semester, I did six weeks in Tampa where I interned. And I was fortunate enough to take some online courses, and one of my professors worked with me so I could do that internship remotely. And then ultimately, there was a position available at the NFL. It was at the time called a player development, uh, so it was an assistant position. And I applied, and I really felt that my education at Rutgers and my experience both at Rutgers um, around the, you know, at the NFL, I had also interned with a Yankees minor league team. So at that time, uh, the stars sort of aligned and I was offered a position at the NFL. And I want to say I started maybe three days after I graduated from Rutgers. So I always felt really Rutgers, it's just a great place for me to be. And it really put me in a good position, especially being in the New York metropolitan area to really hit the ground running with my career. So I always love sports, and then I got the opportunity to work in them. That's great. What a, like, a great story of how it just, like, it seems like it, I mean, with some help, you know, here and there, yeah. it just, like, fell into place. I always tell my students, um, this sounds nerdy, I always, I still have at my parents' house uh, up in Bergen County all of my rejection letters that I ever received. 
from, I mean, I applied to everywhere when I, I knew how hard it was to work in sports. And at that time, especially as a female, because I graduated in 2006, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but I guess it kind of is. It's about 15 years now. So I always tell my students, the worst thing anyone can say to you is no. So there's no reason to not try for things. So it's kind of cool to look at all the rejections I got in the past and then see how my career has evolved over time. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to find out, right, if they're going to say yes or no. Exactly. You have to, like, take that step in order to figure out, is it a yes, is it a no? Yeah. And sadly, majority of the time it's no. But you only need one yes. Exactly. That's all it takes is one. And right. That's exactly right. During class, sometimes I'll tell students, let's go over resumes, talk about email writing, lots of soft skills I think students are missing often, and they're just as important as what you can learn in the classroom. Definitely. Yeah, I learned recently the value of um, like a follow-up email, even if it's just like, I read this. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that's something that I never learned in college, that I never learned until it actually happened. Yeah, I actually learned from my my grandmother. Um, I would always write handwritten thank you notes after interviews, and I would mail them. Um, I know it was old school, but I'll never forget at the NFL, my first job, I was going through files for something. I saw my um, boss at the time. She kept the letter that I wrote. So wow. just anything you can do to kind of distinguish yourself from other applicants, it's so competitive. And people really like that, I think, personal touch. So Definitely. I tell students that if not just an email, just always telling people you're thankful for the opportunity because people are really busy. Yeah. And I think, too, if, if it's just that, you know, thankful for the opportunity email, they're still seeing it. They're still taking note of it over the maybe other five applicants that didn't they didn't receive that from. Yeah, I guarantee most students aren't doing that. So if you can do that, you're already, I think, a step ahead. So are you still a sports fan? So are you still Mets, Giants? And I guess you worked for the Jets. Would you say you're a Jets fan, too? So not a Jets fan. Okay, um, definitely Mets, Giants. We follow Rutgers football. Really excited. Last year we watched, I mean, ESPN is on in our house 20, I'd literally say probably from when I wake up. It, it's always on in the kitchen or the family room because we're working at home now. Um, or in the car, I'm always listening to like ESPN radio. So we're following sports all the time. We really were into Rutgers basketball. So following them, always support Rutgers sports. Really Mets, Giants. So right now, I don't have much to look forward to in <laughs> pro teams, unfortunately. Maybe next year. We always say that but as a probably not. So I heard that you were are a lawyer. Yeah. So what inspired you to pursue that legal career? I always had an inkling that I wanted to go to law school during my time at Rutgers. Um, so even before then, high school, I would intern and just do filing at a law firm up in Bergen County in Hackensack where my grandmother worked. And then during my time at Rutgers, I um, was a file clerk at a firm right on Albany Street near Old Man Rafferty's. And I just thought the law was really interesting. And then I think it's really during my first job um, at the NFL when I realized a lot of people around me who, you know, I was in an assistant position, but people who were directors or above all had masters or some sort of, um, you know, graduate degree. So it, it really took a leap of faith because at the NFL, I was there three years 
And at the time, it's now called player engagement. I was working really closely with the NFL Players Association, which I really didn't know anything about, about unions. Um, Did a lot of services for the players, continuing education, counseling, the conduct policy, financial education. So lots of programs, the Rookie Symposium, helping players transition from life, from college to being a professional. And then because the average career in the NFL is only about, I want to say, three and a half years, most people don't really retire when they're 25, although that would be nice. It's like, what do you do next? So we helped them kind of in tandem with the union. Then after three years, I realized, you know, I need to make some more money eventually to support myself. You know, if I want to live in New Jersey or this area, it's expensive. And then I actually quit my job at the NFL and I applied to law school and um, I ended up going to the University of Baltimore, which was a really good fit for me um, because it allowed me to be kind of a big fish in a smaller pond. So at law school, um, it was really hard the first year. My mom said she was not sure. She, she, I was really stressed. You know, it's stressful, a lot of work. So I was like, I was afraid you'd not make it maybe the first year, but I did. And then after you get through your first two years of really basic classes, I mean basic, learning about contracts, torts, constitutional law, sort of like evidence, the intro criminal law, intro courses, I started to take classes in employment and labor law. And I really like my labor law professor. Um, His name is Michael Hayes, and he actually was a director at the Department of Labor. He's done some really cool things. And I just realized, wow, I'm a people person, and a lot of labor law is dealing with people, hearing about individuals' specific issues at work, struggles at work, rather than doing more types of work that might be more corporate, um, lots of paper. Uh, So I, I liked the element of people. And I also really liked the element of negotiations, whether it was learning about collective bargaining agreements, negotiation process, or mediation and arbitration. And I really just took a liking to that. I had an opportunity to be on a trial team for labor and employment law. And then I sort of realized, wow, a lot of what I did at the NFL actually had to do with labor law because... We were doing work that was programming collectively bargained between the NFL Management Council and the NFL Players Association. So I really got into labor law and ultimately, you know, at the end of my law career, when you're applying for jobs, I was really, really interested in the National Labor Relations Board, which is the federal government agency that really oversees and enforces workers' rights to engage in collective bargaining, to be represented by a union, also to engage in what we call protected concerted activity. So if you and your coworkers wanted to talk about wages, hours, terms and conditions of employment with each other, you're free to do so without being retaliated against. So I learned about that and I thought the NLRB would be a really cool place. And also being from New Jersey, I knew Baltimore was cool, but I'm like, I really want to come back to New Jersey. I moved back the day after I graduated. And then fortunately, that September, there was an opening. um, Actually, I didn't get the job at first. I applied at the end of law school. So this is why I say, like, keep, you know, being persistent. And then the timing was right in September after, I think, yeah, after I took the bar exam, I called um, the Brooklyn office of the National Labor Relations Board, just said, listen, I'm up in New Jersey, and 
the director at the time said, Jamie, I just got hiring authority. Um, and then I've been with them ever since. Wow. Yeah. And now I just was transferred to the Newark office, which okay. will be a little bit easier when Definitely. commuting starts up again. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I, I like to, I have the opportunity to help people. Right. Get to listen to people's issues at work. Makes you appreciate what you do. And I just love being in the position to be able to help people who need it or help unions or help employers work out issues between each other. And then also you have the opportunity to litigate. If we find Mm -hmm. there's merit to a case, we actually try them before administrative law judges. So it lets me deal with people directly, which I love, learn a lot about different industries, whether it's dairy farm workers or supermarkets, postal service workers, bookstore workers, Verizon. I mean, anyone you could really think of in the public, excuse me, private sector. So it's been a wonderful opportunity. I really love what I do. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you like going to court? I have a good, very high settlement rate. Again, I'm a people person. So I really try. I mean, you go to court if you have to, but right. I feel the end goal, um, what I like to focus on is what each party really wants. What do they need and what's sort of the end goal? And if we can get there by settling without charging lawyers tons of money yeah. um, for the parties and get to a resolution, I have a pretty high settlement rate. So, right. But otherwise, it's fun to, you know, fight fight on behalf of the act and and I guess enforce, you know, the statute for the government. It's pretty cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Just that, like you said, that, I mean, that is like the, a grand, you know, master of like the people person. Like you're literally helping all these people from all walks of life just, yeah. you know, like and get it, their footing again. Totally. And it puts you things in perspective for you to see how, you know, other people struggle and what other people go through makes you not only appreciate what you have, but really want to fight and advocate for people who who need you to. Right. So I feel fortunate I can do that at work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine ever going to court. It's scary. Yeah, right? Like, I just yeah. think of, like, Elle Woods, like, walking into the courtroom. Yeah. And, like, I don't wear a pink suit. But, yes, I have a copy, uh, like, of that DVD in my office, which I haven't been to in a while. But I love Legally Blonde. Also, earlier in my career... Um, I had older men who try to sort of like bully me, but I think as you become more, you go through your career more and you become more confident in your skills, that sort of stuff doesn't bother you or you just learn to sort of ignore it. You also learn there's, you know, there's not good employees, there's not good unions, there's not good employers, and there's good all of them. So it's really cool, just case by case basis, learning about different industries that impact you that you just don't even think about. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, I can't imagine what you've, like, been exposed to. That sounds great. Yeah, you hear interesting stuff, but I oh, love I'm it. Oh, sure. So then you kind of have that, you know, like, great work that you do. And then how did you get – how does that translate to your teaching? Like, how did you get into teaching? What inspired you to teach? Sure. So I had never really thought much about teaching and this is my lesson to students is always keep really good connections. Don't burn bridges. So when I was 18 and a freshman at Rutgers, I had a professor, Susan Kaplowitz. 
She taught foundations of exercise science. She ran the um, exercise and aging program. She just retired last year, Professor Kaplowitz. And I always stayed in touch with her um, just for years. She was really supportive when I interned for the Staten Island Yankees. She and her husband came to watch me, I think, I was like taking photos in the dugout and pulling tarps. So she's been with me kind of forever. We always stayed in touch all the way through law school. And I want to say, as I was sort of wrapping up to graduate from law school, um, Professor Kaplowitz called me and said, Jamie, um, Professor Doherty is looking to retire. And I had him for sport in the law and risk management. I said, okay. She said, why don't you just send him a letter? Tell him you'd be interested in teaching and see what happens. So I did. Um, I remember my mom came with me. She waited in the Douglas Library, um, and I met with Dr. Doherty, and we spoke for about an hour, and at the end of the meeting, he handed me both of his briefcases, and he said, it's yours now. Like, what? Um, It was just kind of, it was good timing, and I didn't think much of it. I really started teaching a summer session and just a few sections, And it's really over the past several years really grown where I have two sections of sport and the law each semester, two of risk management. I created organizational behavior. I created employment relations in sports for a master's class. And it's really kind of just grown. And then last year I was offered, um, you know, a position as full-time instructor, which is really awesome. And, you know, each semester I have the opportunity to teach nine credits. I have so many students yeah, it's been just like an amazing. So it was life changing coming to Rutgers, and I never thought about teaching, but I can't think about not doing it. I love it. It was just sort of a natural fit for me, and I just love getting to know students. And I really love helping students to, like I mentioned, you know, teaching them soft skills, making connections, the students who really care, writing letters of recommendations, trying to help people kind of paying it forward the way people did for me, just like Professor Kaplowitz. Yeah. I love those stories where it's just like on a whim. You're like, yeah. Yeah. You know? And then it just like snowballs into like yeah. the rest of your life. It's like crazy to think about. It's all. I mean, I never nine years ago almost thought I'd be at Rutgers teaching so many courses and just doing like so much good work for and, and getting to know students and give advice on if students want to go to law school. I'll ask students if they want me to review resumes and those who are interested and want to take advantage of me wanting to help. It's awesome. So it's really rewarding. I I have so many great students and my classes fill up and it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think this is like a, like you said, it's, it's a hard industry to get into sports, but it's very sought after. I mean, if you can't like do, you know, like not everyone can be a pro athlete. It has to be just as thrilling, though, you know, to be on those sidelines. And even though I'm not in sports necessarily anymore, it's okay. And I tell students because you could have an idea of what you want to do, but also, you know, you need to live. You need to figure out a way. You have to earn an income and do things. So different opportunities might present themselves that you might not think you wanted to do that, but you never know. And then you fall into certain things and you can have really successful careers. So I tell students, you know, sports is hard, but if you get other opportunities, you know, you just see where things sort of take you. So even though I'm sort of for my own lifestyle, the work that I do now really um, fits 
just my life and my personal life and where I need to be when. But, you know, I just tell students, like, keep in really open mind about what opportunities sort of come your way. You know, even though I'm not working in sports, I teach about sports. And I make a point to make sure, because, again, I watch ESPN all the time, I always know what's going on. I love to, like, incorporate what goes on every week in sports because there's always a lawsuit or there's always something that's happening that's super relevant to talk about in class. So that's what I love where sport and the law, there's just such a natural like fit between the two. They really overlap and I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and who, like who, you probably didn't even know that this was going to be your future when you were a sports management major, you know. So I think that, yeah, like you just have to... I think you you make plans and then life happens and so totally. it's just like yeah you never know flow. what will come your way but I think you know just be open to anything because most people never plan for you know the career they you know unless yeah. necessarily thought you'd be in and right. sometimes it just works out yeah and I love when it does yeah, it's like for a sure. warm feeling especially for when you like when you hear other people have it like or like they got there and you're, like, kind of in the beginning, middle of that journey. For sure. And so it, everything just feels like dun-dun-dun. But then you're like, no, there is, like, light at the end of this tunnel. Yeah, and it takes a long time to get there. <clears throat> I remember, you know, being in my early, early career, like doing more menial tasks, like stuffing folders. I'm like, oh, why isn't, aren't other people helping with that? And then I realized you really need to pay your dues. It takes a long time, you know, now I'm 37, so I've been in the workforce like 15 years. It takes a long time to get to a place where you feel like, okay, like I have my sea legs. I really know what I'm doing. So I tell students, you know, just be patient. you got to pay your dues. Everyone has to. Um, and it takes a while to get where you want to be, but eventually you'll all get there. That's great. So then specifically the course that you're teaching, the organizational behavior in sports management, Mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. So organizational behavior in sport management, it's been around at Rutgers for quite a while. Uh, I recently sort of recreated my own syllabus. And this class is really interesting because it's going to give students an idea on sort of the inter and interpersonal workings that go on in organizations behind the scenes. Um, We see a really big push, and rightfully so, in our culture, Rutgers in particular, with diversity and inclusion. So I like to talk about that in that class, examining maybe personal biases you might have or people at work might have, relationships, different cultures and different workplaces, which is also interesting in sports. You can look at what sports teams have successful cultures where they've seen success and where, you know, other teams have some issues where they might not. Uh, unfortunately, the Mets, for example, are one I often look at. And the Mets have had lots of issues, lots of hiring um, sort of flubs. The Mets kind of cleaned house from HR and legal kind of down because they realized there is an issue in the culture. So I really like to talk about that. And it gives students a good idea because you are all going to be in the workforce one day. So it kind of gives people an idea of the behind the scenes of the workforce rather than not just what you do but really like human capital is so important management's really important learning about HR learning about decisions that are made and group work all important things because we're all going to be in the workforce yeah hopefully it gives people sort of an intro to like what to look forward to or kind of like what the inner workings of organizations are like especially big ones you don't 
like we talk about Nike, talk about sports team, just really cool stuff that, you know, cool and maybe some uncool stuff. Right. That and goes I mean, on. like real life examples, like, you know, totally. like stuff that happened, like you said, that happening in the Mets that, you know, like these are issues. These are things like yeah. red flag. I'm red flag. huge on examples of yeah. real life cases. I like really like to go over cases in some of my classes. You see what like this stuff really happens. Yeah. It happens all the time. So it's cool stuff to talk about. Definitely. That sounds really fun. Yeah. What advice would you give to students taking an accelerated course? Sure. So listen, an accelerated course is not maybe for everyone. It's quick, right? It I think it goes from sort of toward the mid to end of December through about January 14th. So it's a great opportunity to get three credits in about three weeks, but you have to be prepared to sort of put in the work. What I would recommend to students is be organized, right? So be prepared. Maybe you're going to do about a chapter a day. And even if it seems overwhelming now, it's okay. It's only three weeks, right? You know, like the finish line is soon and it's such a good reward to get three credits. That would free up so much time in your semester to do other things. So I think the key is really being organized, having a game plan, taking a look at the syllabus in the beginning and saying like, okay, now I sound old school. I have a written planner. I have to write stuff down. So write down like on this day, I'm going to do this chapter. This day, I'm going to do that. And just, you know, dedicate a few hours a day. You're going to do the reading. You'll do the work. You'll submit it. And again, might be stressful for a few weeks, but you're going to be done before you know it. And hopefully you'll learn a lot and you'll get those credits. Yeah, no, definitely. So, yeah, writing stuff down, keeping yourself really organized um, and pacing yourself so you're not like the night. I mean, I see it all the time where like we're at the end of the semester because then you can't help. I can't help you. Right. I make myself available to students. And then if you come at like the day after classes, well, I didn't submit stuff. They say like, I'm really nice. But I, you know, in the real world, that's the other thing. You can't say to a boss, oh, um, I'm late with this. Bosses won't care. So I like to sort of teach students like it. Timeliness is important. That's why I give deadlines, because I want you to be prepared for what the real world will expect from you when you're in the workforce. Right. Yeah, definitely. Great. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming out and sharing, you know, your story and everything about your class. Um, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Thank Glad you. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Extra Credit.